Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to anyone that's listening. It's the Capture in the Game, the Game Within the Game podcast featuring me, Desmond Jones, Brady. Uh, Capture the Game is sponsored by Capture Sports Agency. Our CEO and founder is uh, Chantel Smith-Jones. Today we got another fantastic guest. We already know all of our guests has been fire so far. But today we introduce you. Um, this guy has been an author. He's a former athlete. He's also the host of The Worker in Your Game. We call him Dre All Day Ball. Mr. All Day Baldwin, how you doing? I'm doing great, Desmond and Brady. How you guys doing? I'm excited to be here. Sure. Oh, we're doing, doing, we're doing good, yeah. Yeah, we're doing good. I wish I was uh, in Miami with you because I know the weather out there <laughs> out there nice, man. Yeah, I just came from Vegas, and this is a damn oven out there, 115 degrees. Oh, my so goodness. Miami's actually cool compared to Vegas. Well, I go out there and melt. You can yeah, find it's me crazy. At, find me on the, on the nearest pavement near you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Dre, go ahead and tell the artists a little bit about yourself, man. Sure, I'll give you a two-minute version of background from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's my hometown. Uh, moved to been in Miami about 14 years, but it was always in the sports. Finally moved to basketball by around age 14, which is actually pretty late if you're trying to go somewhere in ball, college, let alone pro. Only played one year of high school ball, didn't do anything, sat the bench mostly that year. Walked on to play Division three college ball. Uh, still had this idea to go play pro. After a year removed from graduation from college, where I worked a couple, you know, quote-unquote regular jobs, I went to this event called an exposure camp. Was like a job fair for athletes. Did pretty well at that exposure camp. Through that performance, I signed with my first basketball agent. That agent helped me get my pro career started. Uh, nearly 10 year long career started in Columbus, Lithuania. That's where I first played overseas. From that exposure camp, going a little bit back in the story, the footage from that camp I put on this brand new website called YouTube back in 2005. And that's how people actually started to get to know me online. And it's funny because to this very day, 99% of people who recognize me outside or they see me at the mall or something, they know me from YouTube, not from playing overseas. And the funny thing, you do all that work to play overseas, people know you from YouTube. And while I was making those videos on YouTube, after a few years, players just started asking me about my approach when they learned about my background and said, man, you came from kind of like, didn't look like you were going to be anything in sports, but you made it pro. You know, how'd you do it? Why'd you keep showing up to work on your game? Or how'd you develop the confidence to perform in a game or at a tryout? Or why'd you even keep trying, even though you, you know, played D3 college ball, your stats weren't crazy, you only played one year of high school. And I started talking about things like discipline and confidence and mental toughness and personal initiative, going and making things happen. And that formed the foundation of this whole framework and this brand that I now talk about on purpose, which is called work on your game. It's all about taking the mental tools to get you to the top 1% in the sports world and using those same tools in the business world and in everyday life. And when I start talking about those things, what happened, Desmond, is people who weren't even athletes started hearing those messages when I was talking about mindset. And they started reaching out to me saying, look, I'm not trying to learn how to do a crossover dribble or dunk a basketball, but I still follow your stuff. Because when you talk about mindset, listen, anybody can use that, like a teacher, a student, podcaster, entrepreneur. So just planted a seed in my head that, all right, when I'm done playing ball, I already, I'm already good at you know, public speaking. I already had a, a skill of public speaking because I made all these YouTube videos. I had like the 10,000 hours rule. I'm going to just take this and I'm going to give it to people who don't play sports. So when I was still playing ball, I already knew what I was going to do after I played ball. So in 2015, when I stopped playing ball, I just went straight into this, I guess what they call thought leadership. And that's writing books, you know, 
making courses, doing speaking gigs, coaching people, things like that. And now that's what I do. I'm a CEO of my company, which is called Work On Your Game, if you couldn't guess. And that's what we do. We take the tools to get you to the top 1% in the sports world, and we show you how to use those tools in the business world and in everyday life through things like these conversations right here, through speaking, coaching, writing books, etc. So that's me in, in a nutshell, and I'm sure we'll fill in a lot of those gaps in this conversation. Uh, that's awesome. So with like the, all that you said, so with like, when you said you're going to play ball and then you switched to do like the business side, what like type of challenges did you see when you decided you're going to put up the game and you're going to stop going for that and wanted to pursue doing this other stuff? Uh, the biggest challenge was just figuring out where to get started. You know, what do I do? I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I had these ideas and these uh, frameworks and these things that I would talk about in my my little YouTube videos that people were giving me feedback and response on and saying that they like the stuff. But I'm like, all right, how do I get people who are not looking up, you know, how to do a crossover dribble to find out about the stuff that I'm talking about? How do I reach those individuals? And I really didn't know how to do that. And the way that I resolved that challenge was I was at a, I was at Toastmasters actually. I'm sure some people are familiar with Toastmasters. And at my first time that I spoke, at Toastmasters was a volunteer place that people go to work on their public speaking skills and just communication skill. I just talked about the fact that, listen, I used to play sports. I want to get into professional speaking. So I came here to see if, you know, if I can learn how to do that or if anybody knows anybody. And there just happened to be a guy in the audience who used to play in the NFL. His name was Philip Buchanan. He used to play at University of Miami, play for the LA Raiders, play for the Dolphins. And he was just at the same time, he was leaving football and he wanted to become a professional speaker. And he said to me, well, Dre, look, I'm about to go to this conference out in California that's all about speaking. And I wasn't able to go because I had a prior engagement. But he said, anybody who I meet, I'll just pass you the information. And I said, cool. And when he came back, he passed me information on one person. And that woman became my mentor. And it's funny because she didn't even know Philip and she didn't know me. But I took that number. I called her and she just you know, whooped me up and said, all right, look, you have something going on. You're, look, you might be actually about taking action on this. So I sit down with you. And she sat down with me for what was supposed to be a 30 minute meeting that 30 minutes became three hours because she noticed that I was paying attention and I was taking notes on everything that she said and everything she told me I went and did. And that is how I really started to learn the ropes of the the industry of just getting your ideas out there and your you know, intellectual property out there into the world. So that's how I got started back when back in 2014 going into 2015. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I think. Uh... Well, and I'm sure you already know you develop an amazing brand. Cause I, I was going back and listening through some of the stuff that you put out on the podcast. I'm like, yo, this dude is dropping daily nuggets. You got over a thousand, yeah, like eighteen you. over eighteen hundred episodes. I'm like, yo, we we just we just dropping stuff on weekly on Thursday. This man is dropping stuff every day, <laughs> and it's like everything is yeah. filled with gems. You know, I was scrolling through. I'm like, yo, I need to. I ain't gonna catch up. Ain't no way I'm gonna catch up. But best believe I'm gonna be taking some good good tidbits out of this. Right, put it on two x speed. You can catch up. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'd be hearing for, for, for 30 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I just love the, the concept of, it, of just working again because it applies to, to all facets of your life. You know, it, it's not just, you right. know, it's not just basketball. You know, like I'm an engineer. You know, I, mm. uh, you know, I wasn't, I was a decent athlete. You know, if, if I would have put in more work, who knows, I would have, 
I probably still would have been decent. But, you know, but it's just something that I, you know, I try to apply to my own life every day. It's just, you know, just work on your craft, work on your skill set, work on your game, work on whatever it is that's going to get you to the next step. So, you know, I love it. That's I love, right. you know, I love to see what, you know, or oh, as we dive in, I'm sure I'm going to continue to learn more about, you know, everything that has, um, you know, made you who you are today and, and all the people that you've influenced over the past, over these years. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was uh, what was it like playing overseas? So, what's like something yeah. that 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 athletes are maybe not are are aware of when they're looking to play overseas? Man, that's a great question, a deep question, a great question. And when it comes to playing basketball overseas, is that first of all, it's an amazing job because if you really think about it, a lot of us. A lot of people, especially in the United States, do not leave the town that they grew up in, let alone they leave the state, and let alone they leave in the country. That's a big fact. Except maybe to, except maybe to go to college. You know, so when I was overseas, I'm 23 years old when I first went overseas, and I, it, I was reminding myself so many times, especially in that first couple of weeks there, like, man, I'm in Europe just because of basketball, just because of my ability to play ball and the fact that I was able to sell myself and get myself that job playing overseas. So it's a job that you don't want to give up once you have it. I, I would guess maybe playing for the Lakers or the Knicks might be even better, but that's probably the next best thing is playing overseas. So it was an amazing experience to play overseas just to see the world because you're seeing places that you otherwise probably wouldn't have gone. When I think about overseas, let's say if I didn't play ball, I'm thinking about maybe you know, Paris, Rome, places like that. And I never played in those cities, but I went to these countries that I remember when I first went overseas, I had to look up Lithuania on a map. I didn't know where exactly it was, you know, so those are those kind of things. You just get to see parts of the world that you otherwise wouldn't see and do things you otherwise wouldn't do if it wasn't for ball. Now, as far as actually being on the court, the first thing you realize is that this is a job. It is a profession. And when you're an American playing basketball overseas, you might be the only American on the team or one of only a few in that team or in the in the league in the country that you happen to be playing in and there is an expectation that comes with you being an american regardless of how much they're paying you regardless of anything because you're an american especially a black guy because you you can't blend in all right they're expecting you to perform at a certain level they're expecting you to be a little bit better than everybody else and if you don't do that you won't have a job and i know of american players who got jobs playing overseas or at least they thought they had a job playing overseas they get over there they don't perform well they don't have a job for too long. So you really have to show up. And I mean, from day one, the first time you walk on that court, you better be ready to perform because that is the expectation. If you can't do it, then think about how many players are back home who want the job that you have. And they will gladly take it from you. And they're not going to take it. The team's going to give it to them. They're going to get rid of you, send you back home and bring somebody else in. And that happens and it happens really quickly. So. Overseas basketball is not like the NBA where you sign a contract and it's guaranteed and they owe you money even if they release you. Overseas, you don't perform. They send you home and they don't owe you anything. So you better be ready to go as soon as you get there. And I'm talking about go not just in the games, but also in practice, right? So y'all can cue up the Allen Iverson clip. Yes, in practice. You have to go in practice just as well as you go in the games over there every single day. And uh, one other thing about overseas is that you don't play as many games as they play for people who watch NBA basketball, they play 82 games. A lot of times when the season is gone, players don't really practice that much over the course of a season. But overseas, 
you might play 35 games in a whole season, but the timeline is the same amount of time. So what are you doing all that extra time you're practicing? So there are teams I play for where we practice two times a day, every day, Monday through Friday, and we have a game every Saturday. So that's 10 practices for every one game. And that's how it was the whole season. And as the American, you don't take practices off. Like you can't loaf through a practice because everybody's watching you and you're supposed to be the leader. So this is what the job is when you play overseas. This is something that a lot of players don't realize until they get over there. And if they're not ready for it, they won't be over there too long. Yeah, that's that's the thing, as you're saying that, too, is that people don't understand the stuff it takes to go over there. And I'm glad you explained um, that type, that side to it, because people listening are probably like, oh, I'm going to play in the league, but then I'm going to go play overseas. I think it's going to be a, um, a walk in the park. And it's not right. going to be like that, as what you've been saying. They're going to just, they're going to get there, they're going to realize, know. well, there'll be just the game, how the game's played over there is probably way different than what it's played like over here. And then also on top mm-hmm. of that, you probably have like the language barriers and the, the cultural stuff that they might not be accustomed to. So it's like, oh, they think it might be a mini, like, I don't know, vacation, and they're going to try to play. And it's just, right. as you said, it doesn't seem like that's what it is. Oh, definitely not a vacation. And especially, again, as an American player, there's a, it's a higher expectation on you and you stand out. So you, even if you want to kind of coast, you can't because everybody can see you. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. So with, with that, with the staying on the overseas topic, so what is the process of being able to get to play overseas and how, like, is it an easy process for people or is it kind of a, a hard process to get through? Well, it depends on how you define easy and hard. So <laughs> my answer to the question is, I'll tell you what the process is. So to play basketball overseas, the only thing you need is for a professional team anywhere in the world to offer you a contract and you accept it, you sign it, and then you fly overseas. Now, how you get to the position of being offered a contract, there are many different ways to go about it. So if you take a player, uh, what school did you guys go to? <laughs> we went to Indiana Tech. We, I, I chuckle because this yeah, is just that, a small, yeah, just a small school for Wayne. So NAI, okay, NAI. Okay, NAI. All right. So let's just say somebody went to Indiana, like the Hoosiers. You go to Indiana, a D one school, or Michigan, or Duke, or North Carolina, and when you get out of school like that, you're probably thinking you might have a chance at the NBA. So you enter the draft, or you go to summer league, you go to training camp, and let's say you don't make anybody's roster. Now, because of your D one pedigree. Before you even try out for the NBA, you already have agents knocking at your door. You have basketball agents coming who want to represent you because what is an agent? An agent is the go-between between jobs and the talent. And an agent only wants to sign people who they think they can get a job because the only way an agent makes money is when their clients make money. So an agent is going to go after, they're going to be hanging around at Duke in North Carolina because they want to sign these guys because these guys are going to get offers from somewhere, even if it's not the Knicks or the Lakers, right? So an agent is going to reach out to a D1 player, and if that D1 player doesn't make the NBA, then the agent is going to try to get them a job overseas, and they probably will get an offer. Now, whether you want to take it or not, or you want to go overseas, you feel you're going to be homesick, whatever, you're going to get an offer. Now, a player like me, I went to a Division three college. When you play Division three ball, it's hard to even get an agent to want to represent you because the agent is looking at your pedigree because you got to understand overseas teams – they're not scouting Division three college basketball games. Right? They're just looking at your resume, and they're looking at where'd you play. Right, you played at a D3 school. Even if you average 25 points, right, you average 25 playing against D3 players. All right, these guys aren't pros. You're playing against guys who are be, going to become an auto mechanic. They're not basketball. They're not pros. So you did your thing, but no, we're not impressed. 
So this is why I went to that event I told you about called an exposure camp. I needed to go there to prove that I could play against pro level talent. I had played D3 college ball, but I wasn't playing against pro talent at D3. At that exposure camp, I proved that I could play against guys who were already overseas. So when I went there, that's how I got an agent. Now, had I gone to, you know, what's a big time college, USC or UCLA, I wouldn't have needed to go to that exposure camp. I would have just had an agent. The agent would have got me the deal. So I had to take an extra step. So once you have that agent, now your job, when you're signed to an agent as a professional athlete, this is the hardest part of the job. And it's the same way with someone who's like an actor in movies or TV shows is you really kind of got to wait until the phone rings. That's, that's the hardest part of the job. You have to wait until your agent calls you or emails or texts you and says, hey, here's a job opportunity or hey, here's a... If you're an actor, here's a casting call for you to go to. And then you go and you just got to wait for somebody to say, OK, we want them. We want you. And that was the probably the hardest part of the whole situation. Once I signed with that agent is every few days or every week or so, I'm reaching out to my agent. My agent's reaching out to me like, yo, just stay in shape. Keep going to the gym. You no, know, keep working on your game, because when the call comes in, they want you to go like two days later. You need to be on that plane. And when you get off that plane, they're going to want you to get on the court. And when you get on that court, like I already told you, you better be ready to go. So this is the hardest part of the job is continuing to stay ready, even though you have no idea if or when you're ever going to get the opportunity to show that you're ready. So once I got once you get that call from your agent or a team, then you get on a plane. Usually is very short order. It might be the next day, might be two days later. You got to hop on that plane. You get off. Hopefully you get to sleep that day when you land on the plane. And then the next day they expect you on the court. And you're in practice might even be a game and they're looking at everybody's watching you and if you are not you no know, satisfactory the way that you perform that's it they'll send you right back out and if you're good then you get to stay so it really is it really is a, a kind of a, a meat marketish type of situation but you got to be ready to go and this is what makes the pros the pros is that you got to be ready to go that quick and do your thing if you want to keep that job so that's the process of getting on overseas that is a crazy process. So, say, okay, so say, you know, this is my career, right? I just made it, just made it to overseas, brand new, new to the environment, mm -hmm. new to everything. Man, what's my lifeline? What's my, my do's and my don'ts for trying to just either maintain or just, you know, stay over overseas? Okay, so let's just say you signed in Greece. All right, yeah. so you just landed in Greece. You're playing over there. Yeah. Uh, number one thing is being game shape. Okay. Be in game shape when you get there. Now, a lot of athletes have a, a misconception of what game shape means. Uh, game shape doesn't mean you have you, know, you have nice looking muscles on Instagram. Game shape means you're ready to play. <laughs> yeah. Game shape <laughs> means you're ready to play in a, a 40 minute professional basketball game running up and down the court, which means for anybody who plays ball, if you're trying to play overseas, you know what your coaches made you do to get in shape when you were playing in high school and in college. You need to be doing that by yourself. Meaning suicide. doing those sprints, yeah, suicides up and down the court and all that conditioning stuff. You need to be doing that on your own because when you get over there, the coach will tell you, like, yo, you're not in game shape. You need to get in shape. When I first signed, I remember one year I was playing in Montenegro. And after the first practice, the coach didn't even speak English. So one of my teammates had to, everything the coach said, he would say it to, he called me and the teammate over. The coach would talk. Then the teammate would tell me what he said. Then I would say something back. Then the teammate would tell the coach. And it was like this triangle conversation. In the first practice, he, the coach said, you need to get in shape. I thought I was in shape, but I wasn't. So I need to get in game shape. 
And luckily, I played well enough. I showed enough talent that they didn't get rid of me. But I need to get in game shape. So you need to be ready to perform that first day. Secondly, you better be ready to impress that first day. Because a lot of times the teams will tell you because they know how players are thinking. They know that people like me are out there saying what I'm saying. So they'll say stuff like, look, we're not evaluating you based on just this practice because we already know we like you. We saw your game film. We already know about your background. So don't think, don't put pressure on yourself. You had to perform well today just to keep your job. All right, that's a lie. All right, if you don't perform well that day, you will not keep your job because I've seen it happen to players. So you better be ready to impress the very first day that you walk in. Unless you already have a guaranteed contract and understand that also overseas is not like America. All right, we, they don't have the same legal systems in other countries. This means just because you have a contract doesn't mean you want to get the money. And trust me, there are many stories like that out there from players playing in different countries. They don't have the same judicial systems and legal systems that we have in America. So you got to be ready to perform that very first day, be ready to impress, be in game shape. And you were just saying, what are some of the do's and don'ts? Um, you want to be careful on social media because, uh, again, when you're playing in different countries, you have the language barrier. Even though people may speak English like you do, a lot of times English is not their first language. So some of the things that we say, like those subtle things that we say that are like funny, they don't quite get it. It doesn't translate over the same way. So they don't take it as a joke. So you might joke about like the food that they're giving you or joke about the housing that they have you staying in. Or you might make a joke about your coach or about the teammate and you're being tongue in cheek. And somebody who's a native American English speaker, they will understand what you're saying. No laugh, but they don't quite get it. They think you're trying to be like negative. You might get released because of that, because you said something that the team thinks like you're being nasty about the situation. Yeah. So these are just little things you got to be careful of. When you're an American playing in a foreign country also, especially if you're black, because if you're white, you could kind of, like Brady, if you were playing overseas, you could blend in. All right? They might not know that you're American. But if you're black, walking around one of these countries, everywhere you go, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows who you are. So even if they're not pulling out their phones and taking pictures of you, they see you, they're talking about you, and word gets around. And you can't speak the language, so you don't know what they're saying. And so if you're out partying, if you're at clubs, you know, you're you know, with whatever girl, you get in an argument at the bar, everybody knows about it. Even if you don't know that they know about it, they know about it. So you don't want to develop their reputation as a person who's more focused on something other than actually playing the game, but what you're actually over there for doing. So you just got to be careful about how you move around. Be careful about who you're communicating with, you know, what you're doing in your spare time, because everybody knows every move that you make when you're you know, a brown skinned person walking around a bunch of fair skinned people. It's just it's just common sense. So these are another other little things you got to pay attention to. And the last one I'll give you is just figuring out what you're going to do with your downtime. You know, being a pro athlete, one thing I tell people all the time is that. A hard day, a long day at work for you is about four hours. All right, that's a long day at work. You got maybe a two-hour practice in the morning and two hours at night, and usually it's not even that long. So you have the rest of the day to do whatever you want to do with it. And what are you going to do with that time? You need to figure out how you're going to use that idle time. This is why you see athletes rapping. Most of them should not be rapping, but they, you see athletes uh -huh. rapping. You see athletes uh, playing no video games and athletes, you know, doing making clothes and doing fashion and doing everything outside of playing sports because they have we have so much time on our hands. What are you going to do with that time? Me, I was making videos and blogging and writing books. Other athletes, again, they're making albums and playing video games. So what are you going to do with that downtime? You need to really think about that. And also just think about 
think about your future because pro athlete careers are it's like the shortest career that you could possibly be in is being a professional athlete you're 35 and retired right, what are you going to do with the rest of your life and those are things you need to be thinking about from the very beginning because some athletes only play a year and it's over some athletes if you're lucky and amazing you might play 20 but then you're 40 years old and retired right, what are you going to do with the rest of your life these are things you got to think about from the very start we didn't want to get into the rap game <laughs> not me no i'm not rapping i'll listen to rap but i'm not rapping uh no that's i i think that makes sense though to see why you see like so much creativity comes out of some of the athletes because of that downtime you know once they put they put in their right. six hour work day or whatever you know they working on other facets of their life you know whether it be writing books playing video games that's why you see so many so many players that are streamers now or play right. video games because you know they got this time on their hands now yeah, ain't nothing else to do right exactly <laughs> what's what's uh some of the politics like overseas like i mean i know we see some of the politics here in the nba with the stuff that we see you know what's some of the politics like over overseas is it any different you know what could one expect it's a little bit different overseas because a lot of times you're dealing with people who might not even be speaking English. So whether it's your coach, your coach might not speak English or the general manager. That's the person who was actually responsible for signing you might be the owner of the team, might not speak English. And you may be working with two different agents. For example, if I have an agent, let's say I was your agent, Desmond, and you're the player who plays overseas. I'm your agent and I live here in Miami. I might not know people over in Portugal or Greece where you're playing, but I know an agent who works in Portugal and Greece. So I'm going to work with that agent. Me and him are going to collaborate on getting you signed to a contract because that agent over there speaks Greek and I don't. So they can talk to the team. So now if something's going on between you and the coaching staff, the coaching staff tells the Greek agent, the Greek agent tells me and I tell you. So now we got this telephone game going on. And these are the kind of you have to navigate these communications and then something's going on with the contract or they're late with the money and all these things going on. A lot of times you're not working directly with the organization as to what's happening next or what's going to happen. You're working with people who are speaking a different language or someone who may be bilingual. And again, you do not have the same protections when you're in a foreign country that you have in the United States. A lot of us who grow up in America, we get spoiled and we think that because of the rights that we have here, that everywhere we go to those rights are transferable. That is false. You have those rights on American soil. But when you go in other countries, if they stiff you on a contract or they're missing out on some money from you, uh, you, you can't always, you can call a lawyer and you can go to court, but it's not guaranteed you're going to even get you no know, a trial or really get your money the way that you're supposed to. It doesn't work that way doesn't mean you're, all, you're never going to get paid, but these are things that come up. I know players who have played overseas who two years later are still trying to get their last three payments from a team that they played for in 2019. These things happen. So those are kind of some of the political things that go on. And again, in America, there are political things. We can hear what people say, but over there, you don't even know what they're saying. So it's kind of like you're going second and third and fourth person as to who's saying what and how people feel and things like that. But one thing that I do want to emphasize that when you're playing ball overseas, and this could be any sport, actually, is that the fans over there and even the owners of the teams, they do it more out of pride for their community and for the, the town or the city or the country. It's not just about money. It's not just all capitalism. In America, everything's about the dollar, right? But in overseas, the teams over there, yeah, a lot of teams over there, 
operate at a break even or they might even take a loss and they can the owners can afford to take that loss they can afford to just break even because they don't operate the team as one of their money-making ventures they operate the team kind of out of pride like i love this city or i love this country or i grew up rooting for this team so i want to help this team out so it's not about making money for them whereas here in america everything's about dollars and cents so you as a player have to understand that everything's about winning to them it's not about the individual either here in america in basketball everything's about the individual player like this guy's better than this guy who deserves the mvp award oh you should be guarding him because you're supposed to be the best player things like that overseas not like that overseas you could be the best player on the team and you're not even you don't even start you might only play 18 minutes out of 40 in a game but if the team wins you should be just as happy as if you score 50 points and if you're not they might get rid of you because you don't have the right attitude and these are, again, little things that you don't really understand until you go through it. But hopefully, you know, people like myself, I put value out there so people can understand. I tell people things just like I'm telling you all right now so that they can understand this before they get over there. It's not about you as an individual over there. It's not about stats. It's not about your personal highlights. Those things don't matter over there the way they matter over here in the United States. So you got to be ready to contribute and be part of the team. And the team goes before everything, 10 times before anything about an individual person. Yeah, that's, that's one thing, as you were saying, that's one thing I just didn't realize um, about the overseas game and just what goes um, behind the scenes with being over there and trying to get the money and just trying to fit in and trying to do the job. So I'm glad that you were telling that to us because that's just things that I would never have just known. And I'm glad we know that. But how can mm -hmm. someone become successful as like a player overseas and or like trying to start their career, whether it be in the game of basketball or if they want to venture from basketball and go into the business side? That's a great question. Another deep question. So if someone wants to be successful playing basketball overseas, first of all, you got to have talent. All right. And there's a saying out there that says hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's not actually true. It's not. If you don't have talent, you're not beating anybody with hard work. Right? You need some talent. Right? You're not beating Kevin Durant with hard work. All right? He could take a whole week off. If you have no talent, he's still going to beat you on day eight. So you got to have some talent right, before you get into the game. You got to have talent to even get a chance. So once you get in with the talent, you must keep your game sharp. You got to stay on point because as I've told you, emphasize already, you have to be ready to perform every single day. You have to learn what it means to be a professional. And being a professional is not just about skill and talent. It's about showing up every single day and doing your job. That's really what being a professional is about. And when you're playing overseas, again, since everybody's watching you, that means even in practices, even in weight training sessions, whatever you're doing, you got to show up every single day and deliver. Because if you don't, think about how many players there are sitting at home in the United States right now who think they belong overseas, but they don't have a job. So if you don't want the job or you show you don't want the job, there are a thousand people who will gladly take that job from you and you'll, you will be replaced that quick. So keeping your job overseas is staying sharp, staying in shape, um, not doing anything stupid that jeopardizes your career away from the court, which we see happens with a lot of athletes, college and pro in our world these days. So don't do anything that's going to jeopardize your career or anything that could even possibly jeopardize your career. If you got to think about it, don't do it. And when it comes to all, transitioning like you were asking there Brady about going from playing sports to getting out of sports is you want to prepare ahead of time the same way that right now the NBA playoffs are going on right and, and football season is going to start in a couple months I know a lot of people are excited for that and they're going to have full stadiums and all that 
athletes don't just show up at the game and think that they're going to be able to execute and do everything. They practice, right? Professional football, they got training camp for a month. Basketball, you practice. You got a whole training camp that comes before the season. Before the actual performance, a whole bunch of preparation has occurred. It's the same thing with athletes when you need to start thinking about from the beginning of your career, what are you going to do after your career? You don't wait till the day that you retire and then the next morning wake up and say, hmm, now what am I going to do? All right, it's too late by that point. Not saying you can't figure it out, but you should have been thinking about that from the very start of your career. The good thing is that the NBA, uh, the NBA even brought me in to do some speaking gigs a couple years ago. The NFL does this, and I'm sure baseball, hockey, I'm sure they do it as well, is that they bring people in to speak to the current players and tell them and talk to them about, hey, here's some things you need to think about now. I know you're a rookie. You just got signed to your first contract. Here's what you need to think about when you're done playing, because this career might not last as long as you think it does. Average professional athlete career is less than five years. I mean, the longest is baseball. It's like five and a half. Basketball is like four and a half. Football, three and a half. So the, and the average tennis player, professional tennis player, earns $300,000 total their whole career. $300,000 total which is, it sounds like a lot of money like in a lump sum, but when you think about your whole career, that's not a lot of money. And you're paying your own expenses when you play an individual sport like tennis or golf. You pay for your flights, you pay for your food, you pay for your trainers, you pay for the hotels. And again, people don't think about these things. So when you really add it up, it's not that much money. And let's say you live to your 80 years old, you're an athlete, you're in good shape. You're retired at 30. What are you going to do for the next 50 years with $300,000? So these are kind of things... You want to be thinking about from the very beginning, what else do you bring to the table as a human being outside of being an athlete? Because, yes, you were great as an athlete. Maybe you won some championships. Maybe you even made the Hall of Fame. But understand when you're 50 years old, not too many people care that you won a championship when you were 33. Uh, it, the further away you get from an accomplishment, the less that accomplishment matters. You know, I played professional ball. I stopped playing in 2015. So five years from now, I'm probably not even going to talk about it as much as I do now because it's not as relevant because it's 10 years ago. Like that. What else did you do? There's going to be some 18-year-old kid looking at me like, you used to play ball. All right, what you doing now? You know, that, that's how people look at it. Like, what have you done lately? What are you doing now? So you always want to keep you know, moving yourself forward mentally, emotionally in your life beyond what you did in sports. I'll tell you uh, something I heard Kobe Bryant say. Right after it was right around the time when he was getting into the making of films and he was doing kids books and coaching girls. And one of the things I heard him say was that he said, 20 years from now, if the greatest thing I ever did was what I did playing for the Lakers, then I failed because it means I'm kind of living off my past. I want to do more as a, a businessman, creator or whatever he was calling himself after basketball than I did during basketball because I'm alive. Why not? And Kobe probably made enough money that he didn't need to do anything. Most athletes don't make as much as Kobe made. They actually will need to do something to sustain their lifestyle or you know, even just pay their bills when they're done playing sports. So really thinking about that ahead of time and finding people who are already doing it, people who have already succeeded at it and people who can help you. Now, all that downtime that I talked about earlier, all right, that's one of the things that athletes need to do with that downtime is figure out all right, who am I and what else do I bring to the table if it's not putting a ball through a hoop. Because that could be taken away from you just as quickly as you got it. So what else do you bring to the table? That's the question you really want to answer from the very start. Yeah, I, um, 
I know even for myself, I'm not even an athlete. I know I try to I try to figure out you know what else do I bring to the table other than just my you know day to day career, and so I mean mm-hmm. that's why I try to you know work on different tidbits outside of just my day to day life so I can start just having just different avenues you know different avenues if I want to you know just wake up and just want to start going down this way at least it's already developed or planned out. And I don't know what steps I'm going to take or what steps are what plot holes I want to avoid and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. the, you know, the facets exactly. of life, man. It's just the, the game of life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, and, um, also, too, I know we have people on the past that said this, too. And it actually it speaks more the more we can have people on. And it just seems to see the repetitiveness of it is that sports is only going to last for a certain amount of time. And I think that's what, that's as right. you've been saying, what you're trying to get other people to know and what we're trying to do with this is like sports isn't going to be forever. You have to find something that you can do after that, because once that's gone, you'll be sitting there like, OK, now what do I do? Because if you just invest your life on just one thing and then that's gone from you and then you'll be like, OK, now what do I do? And you're going to feel like, OK, I'm stuck. I don't have to do this. So I'm glad that we have you on to help dis- to, um, explain this for the people, because I think it's something that mm-hmm. people just don't realize and understand that, as you said, like it could be gone just as fast as you got it. Yeah, true, 100%. Yeah, what's, um, what's through through work on your game, right? What's some of the, the biggest tips, I don't say biggest tips, but what's some of the, like, the best pieces of advice that you can give people today right now that's trying to figure out who they are or what they want to do? That's a really good question. One thing that I tell people when they ask me, you know, Dre, how can I figure out, some people ask me, how can I figure out what my passion is, what my purpose is in life? And one thing that I tell people to do is ask yourself who you wanted to be when you were eight years old. Who did you want to be when you were a kid? Before life and, you know, these adult situations that we get into, before they started telling you and you start to be conditioned that you had to be more quote-unquote realistic for you had to be more serious about life what did you want to be and it doesn't mean that you need to go back and now try to become a firefighter or a movie star but it's remembering when you didn't have these constraints on your mind and what was it about those things that you wanted to be why did you want to be that when you were eight or nine years old what was it about being a movie star what was it about being a firefighter, and when you can tap into those emotions and the reasons behind it, then that can give you a clue into maybe what your passion is now. Another thing you can do is, you know, sometimes people say, follow your passion, you know, for figuring out your career. We tell that to adults. But I think a better piece of advice is follow your energy or follow your attention. Where are you actually giving attention and energy? When you have a day off or you have a next week, we're going to have a, a long weekend. We got Fourth of July weekend coming up. What are you going to do? What do you do with that time off? When you can do whatever you want, what do you do? Are you playing video games? Are you reading? Are you writing? Are you making YouTube videos? Are you on TikTok? What are you doing with your downtime when you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do? That's a clue into what you could spend a lot of your time doing. And the great thing about the world we live in now, as opposed to even 20 years ago, is now there's a way to pretty much make money doing any of those things. 20 years ago, if you played video games on a weekend, you were a loser, right? And what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Now, 
professional video gamers is a full-time job. Now, you can make a, a living just playing video games if you're good enough. So there's plenty of opportunity to take basically anywhere that your energy is going, that your attention is going, that it could become a passion, it could actually become a business. So if someone's really trying to figure out where do they go and who they are as a person, just look at what you're doing in your free time when you have open space to do whatever you want. Where are you naturally gravitating towards? That's a clue. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the exact thing, but that's a clue into what direction you need to go. So you want to pull on those threads, get more information, find somebody who's doing that thing for a living and see if you really want to do it. See what it really takes. Find out what it takes, because, again, another advantage that we have over even just a generation or two ago is that when you find something that you think you might want to do, you can find a podcast, you can find a book, you can find a YouTuber who's talking about it. But they're telling you everything you need to know about it. And you can find out, all right, do I really want to do this? All the information is freely available to you. Only thing that is necessary is for you to be seeking it and then for you to do something with that information. That's it. That's facts. Because you got Google University. You got right. you, movie YouTube. Uh, you got just everything that is out there that is freely available. So, uh, you know, the question that comes exactly. to you, you know, every day is what, like how much time are you willing to put in? You know, what's the work ethic you looks like exactly. that looks like that, is trying to, that you're trying to put in to get to where you want to be to? Like, if this is what you want to do, if it's your passion, it should be easy for you to sit down and take some time out your day just to figure out, you know, how to do something new or how, if you're watching someone stream, for example, if you are, you know, or, you know, how do they do that particular part or how they create that graphic or how do they mm -hmm. edit their videos like that? So, you know, it's all, all different, uh, like tidbits that you kind of figure out if you're like, if you're passionate about something and you just want to sit down and take time to figure out how to, um, how to do X, Y, Z things facts yeah and with all that too um with all this piece of advice is there anything that you know now that you wish you would have known say five ten years ago wow oh there are a million things i wish i know <laughs> everything that i talk about is something that i wish i knew earlier but one of the most important things i would tell let's say i'm talking to somebody 18 or somebody just graduated from college is investing in yourself and when I say investing in yourself, it doesn't just mean money. Money is part of it, but also time, attention, energy, and focus. Putting those things into yourself because those things pay back. And I mean, people have to understand the difference between a cost and an investment or an expense and an investment. An expense is something that you put the, the resource out and you're not getting anything back. You know it's just costing you. But an investment is you put something in and you're going to get even more back in the future. But you have to make the investment up front so you can get that return on an investment. And when I say investing in yourself, one of the most important things is getting the information, getting the knowledge. So that means going to the library or nowadays going to Amazon or going to YouTube, reading the books, subscribing to the podcast, finding people like you guys, finding people like myself who are resources. They've already been where you want to go and they can give you the information. All right? They know the people that you need to know. They have access to the people you want to have access to getting that information and a lot of times gentlemen really is just time time is the most important asset that we own and if you're willing to put the time in you can get any other resource if you want to put the time in you get as much money as you want if you want to put the time in you can find the energy you can get the attention you can find the focus so really it's where are you investing your time and are you making good investments that are going to pay you back or are you making poor investments that are going to cost you in the long run that's the question that all of us need to be asking ourselves on a consistent basis. So to answer your question, something that I wish I had known 
five, 10 years ago or something I would tell somebody five, 10 years younger than me is really think about what investments are you making on a consistent basis? Are they going to pay you back in the future or are they going to cost you in the future? Your future you is either going to receive a dividend check or they're going to receive an invoice based on the actions that you take today. Yeah, that's definitely where I want to get to for sure. Mm. <laughs> and uh, mm. and that, that, I mean, that's for, for any, you know, for all the audience, the listeners, the viewers, anybody, you know, you know, work on your passion, work on what's going to, um, you know, help provide a better future for you, you know, and just, right. just as, just as Dre just mentioned, you know, is this going to, you know, turn into a dividend down the road or invoice? So just, right. you know, tidbits of life, man. I always, always got, I got a catalog and a lot of like a library of stuff that you know people that just came on a podcast and they just dropped for us man so it's always educational right. for us when we had these man so great stuff yeah um what does what does your daily schedule look like right now because it's like for me I feel like me I'm just living in chaos part part of the time <laughs> like I'm just going everywhere put out fires what yeah. what 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 does your daily schedule look like and how do you get into that routine and kind of just stick to it that's a great question it's actually a topic of my my next book but what i do is every day i wake up at about 3 45 a.m eastern and first thing i do is i drink a liter of water i try to drink six liters every single day i'm only at about a little bit past halfway today so i got to catch up as soon as this interview's over so i drink a liter of water I do uh, a yoga routine, which is only about 10 minutes, and then that's combined with stretching, foam rolling. I do meditation. That'll take about 30 minutes, and I do that while I'm doing the yoga. I don't sit down with incense or none of that with my eyes closed, none of that. I will fall asleep. I do the meditation. I eat two bananas, and then I go work out. So that's the first you know, outside activity I do is go work out. So that'll either be like a cardio. I like running outside. I don't do basketball anymore. I'll lift weights. I do a, a boxing workout. I got a boxing trainer. So those are usually the things that I'll do when it comes to working out. I got some uh, uh, exercise bands that I bought off Amazon, you know, because during the pandemic, you couldn't go to the gym. So then I'll do the workout. When I'm done my workout, you know, shower, shave, get dressed. I'm listening to podcasts while I'm you know, shaving and getting dressed. I usually go outside and take a walk. I live in Miami, so the weather is walkable all year around. About a one to two mile walk through the neighborhood every day. Then when I come back in, I have a protein shake. And by then, it's probably about 8 o'clock. So the first four hours of my day is all, I guess, what they would call self-care, me doing things for myself. I don't actually start work work till about 8 o'clock a.m. And from 8 o'clock till, let's say, about 8 to 5, that's when I'm doing work, whether it's doing interviews like this one right here, whether I'm working on a book, whether I'm putting together some content materials, I'm writing emails, writing articles, um, you know, reaching out to maybe possible speaking gigs or I'm doing you know, coaching sessions, consultations, you know, putting together advertisements to get my products and services out there to the world is not the same schedule. Between eight and five is not the same stuff every day. Uh, like I told you, I just came back from Vegas. I was doing a speaking gig out there. So it can be all kinds of different things that are occurring in my quote unquote work time. But that's you know, kind of how it is when you're in entrepreneurship, that it can be anything, any single day, especially if you're you know, the main person doing a lot of things. You know, have an assistant, but it's not like I got a 50 person team handling everything. I handle a lot of things on my own, I pass some things off to my assistant, but it could, it could change from day to day, everything that I'm doing. Then by about five o'clock to continue, 
I try to stop working. I try to give myself a hard stop at five o'clock so I can get to sleep on time. So to get up that early, I got to go to bed early. I take another walk in the evening. That's when I actually see people because nobody outside the early walk. And then when I get back in, I, what I've changed to is I have another protein shake. I usually have two protein shakes now. I used to only have one. I have another one at night. And then I try to be laying down by like seven o'clock and lights out no later than eight so I can get a full night of rest. I'm trying to get actually a little bit earlier so I can get more sleep. I found I perform better mentally and physically when I get more sleep. So I'm just trying to optimize my day to get, I'm trying to get the nine hours a night. I'm not there yet, but I'm trying to get there. So that's what my day looks like. What well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm Go so ahead, so I'm still sleeping at that time. And so sometimes I'm even awake yeah. and realizing I go to bed yeah. in like a couple hours, but that's awesome. Right. I know you were, you mentioned um, being an author and writing books. What made you want to do that? Like what sparked that passion? Man, that's a good question. I was always into reading from a very young age because my mom is an educator. My mom's like a, a teacher. And she was always into early education. She likes teaching young kids. So when she had young kids, my sister's a year older than me. So when she had young kids, she obviously taught us. So I was, my sister and I were both reading and writing probably before we even started formal schooling. So I think we were both pretty ahead of the curve. My sister was even better than me. So around 2010, this is when I'm a few years into YouTube. This is just when social media is starting to really blow and people are starting to be like, oh, I can make money posting stuff on the internet. I heard about self-publishing where you could just go on Amazon, Kindle Direct Publishing. You could put your own book out without going through any gatekeepers. You didn't need anyone's approval. So at this time, I had this audience of people watching me on YouTube. These were just basketball players, but they kept asking me you know, about my background, about my story. And I was already blogging. I was actually blogging before I was on YouTube, but blogging didn't you know, blow up. YouTube is the thing that blew up that people knew me from. So I was always writing. So by that point, once I heard about self-publishing, I thought, well, why don't I just write my own story and just put my own book out? So I wrote my first book. It was called Buy a Game in 2010. And Buy a Game is just something one of my eighth grade classmates told me. He was basically telling me to get some skills. Like, Joe, you need to go buy a game. You need to get some skills. You ain't got no game. So I took that advice and I named my first book after that advice. And it was just my story from when I started playing up through my college years. And I put that book out for free. And we gave away probably 100,000 downloaded copies of that book from back then until to this day. We still get that book out to this day for free. And that's how I got started. And once I put that book out, people just gave me great feedback about it. They just liked the way that I told the story. And they liked my writing style and my communication style because I write the same way that I talk. And the funny thing is, about five years later, around 2015, when I found out about how to make my own audio books, I went to make the audio version of that first book. And I, of course, when you make the audio version, you have to read your own book. So when I'm reading the book, I realize how terrible the writing was. The writing was not even good because I had gotten a lot better at writing over the years. So when I started reading that book, I'm like, man, I need to fix a whole lot of this book because it wasn't edited or anything. It was just I just wrote it and put it out. And the thing is, even though that book was not so well written by my updated standards, nobody ever complained about the book. Nobody complained about the typos or the any grammatical errors because they just liked the story so much that they didn't even pay attention to the mistakes. So that's how I really realized like, oh, I should write more books and write more. And that's how I got into writing. I just started writing about the same stuff that I was talking about. So like I told you, I was making these YouTube videos talking about mindset. 
that were called the weekly motivation. So I did the weekly motivation every Monday for about 400 weeks straight on YouTube. And that became the source material for a lot of my early books. So like the mirror of motivation was about discipline. The super you is about confidence the mental handbook about mental toughness, mental game, best practices about personal initiative. All of those were sourced from stuff I was talking about on YouTube years earlier. So that's how I got into it. And when I every time I would put one out, people would read it and say, yo, Dre, this stuff is really helping me. It's really helping me change my life and change my outlook. And the thing is, like I said, it was the same stuff I was already talking about on YouTube. But it has a different impact on people when they read it in a book than when they watch it in a video. Because the video is kind of like disposable. The video comes and goes. Like somebody asks you for a link to a video, you send them a link, and they're like, well, Dre, this video is old. It came out six months ago. I might do it. If I made another one, I'd say the exact same thing. But they want the new, the new thing. But people don't look at books the same way. We treat books like the book could be 10 years old, but we treat it like it's new if we hear, heard about it today. But you send somebody a link to a video that's 10 years old, they don't want to hear it even though the material is exactly the same. So it's just funny the way people look at things. So with books, it's kind of like a, a more permanent version of what you're saying. So that's when I noticed that about books, I just went and just took all the frameworks and all the ideas that I would have. And I said, all right, I'm out. just write another book about it. And because of the power of self-publishing, I didn't need to go through any gatekeepers. I could put out a book as fast or as slow as I wanted to. I could go back and change something in a book and just put out a different version of the same book as much as I felt like it. So I've done most of my books are uh, published through my company, Work On Your Game. I have done a book with a traditional publisher. That was my book actually called Work On Your Game. So that's how I got into writing and why I still write to this day, because I think it there's more permanence to a book again than there is to content, even though we all love content. There's more permanence to a book. That's really all interesting. So so Mike, so my, my, my next question is like, so do you feel as though that you've run into like a writer's block or even a like content creating block sometimes or even just like this mental fatigue from doing that never <laughs> i've never had a writer's block or a content creator's block <laughs> the thing is i'll tell you why is because number one i started creating content before it was cool to create content i only think we were calling yeah. it content when right. I started blogging and yeah. YouTubing in 2005. And the other reason is I didn't get into the game when there was, when I saw there was money to be made in the game. When I was blogging and YouTubing in 2005, six, seven, eight, there was no money. Now yeah. you can make money from put, putting videos on YouTube in 2008. It wasn't until around 2009, 2010 that they introduced, you can get the ad revenue and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And before that, people were creating content just because they had something to say. Yeah. I was putting material out because I had things that I needed to say that I couldn't not say. Mm -hmm. And that's still what I do to this very day. And then I'll give credit to this guy named James Altucher, who's an author himself. He has a podcast himself that's named after him. He talked about this thing called the idea muscle. And the purpose of the, the idea, the idea muscle is very simple. Every day you just want to come up with 10 new ideas and just write them down. You don't have to be good ideas. You don't even have to do the ideas. You just want to come up with 10 ideas every day. And the reason that you do that is because coming up with ideas, that muscle is kind of like a muscle on your body. Like if you stop exercising it, then the muscle goes away, atrophies. So the idea muscle is just you giving yourself exercise at coming up with ideas. So then when you actually need an idea, you already have the skill in place. 
So I started doing that and I still do it to this day. Every day I write down 10 ideas. Some days I do a lot more and occasionally I come up with less, but usually I average at least over 10 ideas per day over the course of a year. And those ideas, that idea muscle is how I come up with new content all the time. So everywhere I go, everything that I do, everything I experience, even something that I don't like, I get an idea from it and I just write it down. And that is the source for all the content that I put out. So how I can put out a new episode every day without repeating myself is because I'm always writing down new ideas and I'm always thinking of just new ways of looking at situations. So anything I hear people talking about or I see somebody getting mad about or people getting happy about or people getting excited about or somebody just asked me a question I've never been asked before. That's a new idea. And I write it down and that becomes the material. So the answer, do I ever get writer's block? No, I don't. That's good. Cause so I'm one thing that I've been doing on the side is that I've been working on building uh, a platform on Twitch for just like my, for this Migo video, like distributing video games and stuff. So I'm always in a lot of people's chat, mm -hmm. just um, checking out their content, you know, just working out, writing down ideas and writing down things that I would like to try to do on my, on my stream or on my platform. And so I was just curious, like, like, you know, I'm looking at you as like my futuristic self. Like, all right, if I do this for X amount of times, am I ever going to get like tired or bored of it? And you asked my question. So <laughs> as long as you're talking about things that you really yeah. want to say, yeah. then you'll never get tired of it. It's when you start thinking of it like I have to do it. That's when you get burned up. Very true. Very mm. true. What um going switching gears real quick, going back to basketball real quick. What um because now you're starting to see like we're at the point where we're starting to see high school athletes, right? Either go over to college or start to sign overseas and then come back over to yeah to you know try to play professionally. What what's your thoughts behind that? How do you feel about what will be I was, I would say the better, better, uh, better route to take because every athlete would be different, but you know, what's the mm -hmm. thoughts of now, you know, athletes going to go play ball receives before they go jump into the professional. I think more options is good. I think yeah. more options is good for the players because now they have some, they have some say, some say into where they could possibly go. Now it's not like it's so wide open, like, if you look at the players who are going overseas or right now, even the NBA G League is signing players like the NBA G League. They have the Ignite program where they're signing players for, I think, it's 500,000 for the season in cash. Yeah. And then they can go into the draft. And I think two of the guys who are going to be the top top five picks in this upcoming draft are coming out of that Ignite program. They otherwise would have been playing at some college for, quote unquote, for free. This is a different conversation. But. Um, the players who are getting those opportunities to get paid in that year after college before entering the draft, they're still top 20 players. So you got to be in the top 20 in your class to even have an opportunity. So the other million players who are playing high school basketball don't have the same option. So it's not like everybody can do it. It's a very select group of players like LaMelo Ball and you know, the few other players who have done it. These players are top ranked players in their classes before they get this opportunity. So I don't want I want to make sure people understand that because I get high school players reaching out to me. They'll send me a DM on Instagram like Dre, you know, I'm graduating high school. You know, what's the chances I can go play overseas before I go play pro? I'm like, dude, what are you ranked? Are you even on the team? How are you going to go overseas? Like <laughs> you couldn't play high school. How are you going to play overseas? That's not happening. So I think it's good that the option exists. 
what I think the natural next step is, let me not say natural, but the next step is either, maybe both of these happen. A, the NBA is going to drop that age limit and they're going to allow high school players to just enter the draft again. And then players have the choice of just going straight to the NBA if they want to do it. Or, and or B, the NBA G League, they expand that program that they have to where there are many more spots for high school players to forego the NCAA where they are not allowed to be compensated directly with a salary for playing and they can go to the G League and they can at least get paid for at least that one season and then enter the draft after that. And it's all under the NBA G League, which is owned by the NBA. So at least they have the structure of, hey, this is what NBA life looks like. So they are being taught directly by the job that they're going to get hired by. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's kind of like an internship. If somebody wants to get a job, like you said, you're, you're an engineer, right? You said, Desmond? Yep. So, yeah, if somebody wants to become an engineer, you get an internship at an engineering, somewhere where you could be an engineer, and then they offer you a full-time job. It's the same thing in basketball. Why not let these players get an internship, a paid internship, and then they can go play in the NBA? If the NCAA does not want the players to get paid because they want to keep up this concept of their amateurs and they, don't, they shouldn't get paid because they're amateurs, while at the same time the coaches are getting paid and the universities are making money, then, yeah, that's a bad business deal for the player. But at the same time, if the player accepts that deal, you can't sit there and bitch about it while at the same time you accepted it. Like You accept the scholarship that says you don't get paid. You can't complain about it. But if you don't want it, then don't, don't take it. Go overseas. Go to the G League if you can get it. But people have to understand this is capitalism. This is the open market. So if nobody's offering you an overseas contract, then nobody's offering you a G League contract, and the only thing offer you have is a D1 scholarship, you can't take the D1 scholarship and then complain that you're not getting paid like you deserve money. Well, if you deserved money, then where's the money at? Where is it? If you deserve this, somebody should have offered it to you. So this is, this is business. So once you step out of high school and you decide to get into this, this money game, you are in the professional world. And in the professional world, you get what you can, you get the offer that you can, you can secure. If nobody makes an offer to you, then that's what it is. And this is why I think the NBA needs to drop that age limit. Let players, if they want to, you want to jump from high school to the league, okay. Now, if you fail and you wash out of the league in two years, you can't go back to the NCAA and say, give me a chance. Like, this is the choice that you made. You made an adult choice. You got to live with the adult responsibilities. So that's, I don't even remember what your question was, but that's uh, where I, I see it going when it comes to players who want to take that possibility of going overseas and or now that I think the G League is a better option just because they can stay in the United States. And if you're going to go to the league, you're going to be in the USA anyway. So you don't need to go to Australia to get ready to play in the league. You get to go to, go to you know, Kansas or Ohio and then go to the league. And so that's how I see it going. Yeah, that's uh, I like that idea. I like what you're saying about the they should open it up, lower it down, let people make that decision for themselves. Um, because I think right. you'll see a lot of people – um, decide what's best for their future instead of they have to have this set path. Okay, I gotta do this, I have to do this, I gotta do this, and then realize it's not what they wanna do. Um, so right. with that, what can athletes do like more of or like less of within um, their game and like trying to go different places and stuff? You mean as far as professionally or what kind of game are you talking? Uh, yeah, professionally. What athletes can do more or less of. Well, one thing is you just got to continue to add to your skill set because at the professional level, we can see that the game has evolved over the years. If you look back at the, the Michael Jordan days and even the Shaq Kobe days, even the Iverson days or the early LeBron days, 
the game has changed a lot. Now we got the everybody shooting three points. Now it's moved into the, the era that kind of Steph Curry ushered in by making the three-point shot. And the game is continually evolving. So players must keep evolving their game. They got to stay on top of what the game is. Make sure you're staying in game shape, staying ready to play. And that's one thing I think players need to keep doing. I think players are already doing it. They need to keep doing it. What players could do less of, not even necessarily that they had to do less of anything, but they had to just make sure they keep their focus where it needs to be. If you're going to be a professional at anything, that's your number one thing. Being a professional at something, you had, that has to be your main focus. Like, nobody has ever been great at being a professional at two things at the same time. Nobody's ever done it. All right, so this is why I say athletes shouldn't be rapping because I haven't heard a good athlete rapper yet. All right, I've, seen them, I've seen them try. I haven't heard anybody who's actually good at rapping and good at basketball at the same time. And there ain't no rappers who can play basketball. So, and there's a reason for that because you can't be great at two professions at the same time. It is not possible because you have to give your focus to that one thing that you're going to be doing. So I think with a lot of athletes these days, especially because now we have all this interconnectivity through the internet, we see all these options and possibilities of what we can do. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And you look at somebody like Michael Jordan, look at someone like Kobe Bryant. What else did they do besides play basketball? We don't know about anything else they did. All they did was play ball. I mean, they had their little commercials and stuff. But all they did was play ball, and it's pretty clear they were the best players. Right? It's pretty clear, at least in their era, they were the best players because they focused on that one thing that they were doing. So I think athletes out there, if you're talented enough, you can divide your focus and still at least have a job and get a check. But if you want to make the most of your talents, you have to really bear down and focus on that main thing that you're doing. Even when it's not yet producing the fruit yet, you still got to focus on it. And that's the discipline. That's the mental toughness. And clearly, a lot of, not, a, not everybody has it, whether we're talking athletes or not. But that's the choice that you have to make. Go ahead, B. No, that's good. That's uh, glad that we have been able to hear that because that's one mm -hmm. thing that people – um, and athletes now need to realize that um, can't be, as you're saying, can't be focusing on two separate entities and things to do because you're either going to start focusing more on one and then leave that one behind, but then you want to go back to that one and like switching back and right. forth isn't going to be the greatest thing because even on your mental health, you're going to be like going here, but then going here and then you're going to ruin the schedule that you have set up for you and you're going to be missing so many opportunities, so many things. And that's, that's good that, um, You'd be able to give that to us. That kind of was our last question for the interview portion. So now we're going to go into our um, rapid fire portion, which is a game that Desmond and I play oh, uh, with fire. everyone we have like on this. the uh, on the interview. So um, a question right. to you first is, are you ready to play? Of course. I love rapid fire. Gotcha. So first one we're going to start off with is, are you a chocolate chips guy or oatmeal raisin? Oatmeal raisin, 100%. Let's go. <laughs> I like soft oatmeal. I like the soft, yeah. chewy kind. Yeah. Of oatmeal yeah. 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 That's the only way we can, that's the only way we can have it. Yes. All right. Uh, TV shows or movies? Neither. I don't even own a TV. <laughs> All right. You know what I like watching? I like watching the documentaries on Netflix or yeah, something like that. But I don't really watch TV. Okay. We'll take that answer. Yeah. So, um, what is the favorite sports moment that you've seen and or have witnessed in your lifetime? Wow. Favorite sports moment I've seen or witnessed. Damn, that's a tough question. Man, 
there's been so many. I like my. I was watching when Michael Jordan made the last shot, quote unquote, last shot, nineteen ninety eight. That's one that comes to mind. Um, what's another one? When the Miami Heat, when LeBron came to Miami, I was watching when he made the decision. And I live in, I live not far from the stadium, so I remember the night that he announced he was coming to Miami, taking my talents to South Beach. People were celebrating in the streets like we won the championship. It was, <laughs> people were honking their horns, standing on their balconies, yelling out their window. He wasn't even here. Uh, he was yeah. in wherever he was when he did the show. People were celebrating like we won the championship. Remember that little celebration he did the next day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like we won the championship. He wasn't even in Miami yet. So <laughs> I remember that. that. That was just entertaining. I don't know if it was inspiring. It was just entertaining when it happened. But that whole run, the whole four-year run, Miami felt like the epicenter of sports just because of all the attention that he brought with him. So those are the two I think of. Okay, okay. Uh, favorite jersey colorway in the NBA? Hmm, I like black and red. I like those two colors. So my brand is black and red. Miami Heat is black and red. Other team does that. Portland Trailblazers do it. I just like black, red, and white, of course. Black, red, and white, those three. That combination I always like. Chicago Blackhawks. They got a little green in them, but yeah. That okay, one. okay. So if we had to um, choose a top five for the NBA players, uh, what, what would your top five be like? You mean today or all time? All time. You can do all time. All time. So we'll start from the we'll start from like 1990, because that's around the time where I was paying attention. I, I want to go any further back than that. Five players. Michael Jordan, of course, is number one. It's not even competition. Uh, LeBron James is going to be in there. Tim Duncan. Five. Give me a healthy, in shape Shaquille O'Neal. Not fat Shaq, but in shape Shaq. And I got to go Kobe. LeBron, Kobe, Mike, Tim Duncan, Shaq. Yeah, that's my five. Okay. If you had to choose between either Shaq or Tim Duncan, who are you choosing? For what? For what purpose? Just anything. Just like. <laughs> yeah, just anything. For anything? Yeah. Well, if I want a guy that's just going to dominate in the paint, if I want a guy for one game to just dominate in the paint, I want a healthy, in-shape Shaq. Now, if I'm talking for a career, longevity, 20 years, I'm taking Tim Duncan. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. So, now the next one, then what would you do, um, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant? Michael Jordan. No explanation necessary. <laughs> that's fine. All right. Um, you get a chance to take over any organization. Who do you take over? In what sport? It, it could be anything. You know, you have to be sport related. It could just be. It could be Nike, for example. It could be sports related. You you could choose any organization. Who do you want to check, take over and why? Hmm. I'll give two answers. In sports, I'll take over my hometown, Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I think we might need to trade Ben Simmons after what just happened in the playoffs. Yeah, I think, I think Ben might need to go. He needs to change the scenery. And we got to get the right players around Joel Embiid. He's the franchise. We got to build around him, put a bunch of shooters around him, same way the Cavs did LeBron. And we're going to go as far as he can take us. So that's how we do sports-wise. Business-wise, I would take a company like Nike, and I would license from me, work on your game, because I think Nike needs that slogan, but they, they have to license it from me. So I pay me to license me for work on your game. And I make that one of Nike's new slogans and we put that on some gear and you know, sell that to the world. With their marketing budget, yeah, everybody in the world will know about working on your game within about three weeks. Yeah, so that's what I would do. I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Yeah, that's that's good. So that was kind of um, wraps up um, all the interview today and everything we've talked about. So where can um, right. the listeners, the viewers, the people watching this, where can they follow you at like on their social medias or anything like that? Where can they find you? Sure. Well, I got a new book coming out. Can I tell them about that? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, of course, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is my name, just Dre Baldwin, one word. But my newest book, I got it right here, is called The Third Day, The Decision That Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. Now, this is a not-for-resale copy. That's that gray bar right here. But your copy won't have that on there. But this book is about, is one of my, is my most popular framework. Whenever I give speeches and talk about stuff, this is the one they remember. The Third Day is about any situation in your life when the newness has worn off, the novelty is gone, and you realize that the thing that you're doing is an actual job. It's not all fun and games, it's actual work that needs to be done. Just like we talked about with Writer's Block or Desmond, you talked about with Twitch. At some point you realize, all right, this, I gotta actually do some work here. It's not all, all fun and games. That's the third day. It's any situation when you are not quite feeling your best, but you gotta give your best effort. Or maybe even on your worst day. That's what the third day is about. And in this book, I explain what it is, how to handle it, how you overcome it, how you can create that discipline by leveraging your own mental toughness and setting yourself up for success through setting up your routines, setting up your processes, setting up your disciplines so that you don't have to use willpower every day. You don't have to decide every day if you're going to do the work. You set yourself up for doing that work so that it becomes habit. It becomes routine. It becomes unconscious so that you can deliver your best work on a consistent basis because that's what people are expecting from you when you have the word professional next to your name. Now, this book, I will give you the book for free. All we ask is that you cover the shipping. You can get it by going to thirddaybook.com. Thirddaybook.com. The book is in pre-order right now. We're shipping out all orders on launch day, which is August the 3rd. But you can pre-order the book right now for free by going to thirddaybook.com. All you're going to do is cover the shipping. And I'm going to do a free live online event for everybody who pre-orders the book. That event will be on August 1st. But the book ships out August 3rd. And you can order it right now. One more time, thirddaybook.com. And I'll give you all the link and all that. Yeah, for sure. Definitely going to have to get that link. Definitely going to have to look into that and uh, order one of those myself. Um, but for the people um, listening and viewing us um, that are following us along at Capturing the Game, you can follow us on Instagram at Capturing underscore the underscore game pod. You can find us on Twitter at CTG underscore podcast. And then you can search us up on YouTube and Facebook at Capturing the Game pod. Um, again, Dre, we'd like to thank you for coming on um, and joining this podcast with us today. Um, and we hope that we can have you on again here sometime in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this conversation.